Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget your machete as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. Just, just for safety, I'm going to read you the intro. Okay. This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined, as always, by my pal, Mark Matsky. We're on our second round of doing the intro to the show. Um, we have just returned from the wilds of the Pacific Northwest, the Olympic Peninsula, um, and that's what this show is going to be about. We will try to keep it relegated to the Bigfoot phenomenon as it relates to that part of the country and twilight and the subject of twilight <laughs> hopefully we just lost another <laughs> 200 <laughs> listeners or something they um, talked about twilight i'm out their audio quality was terrible <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah uh we we just got back last wednesday um from uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. So just over a week ago, we had a crazy whirlwind trip. Um, we recorded in the neighborhood of like 30 hours of footage just on the three main cameras. Wow. I don't know what we caught on the handy cams. I would assume substantially more, substantially larger amounts of footage because those were running almost nonstop. Constantly. Yeah. So um, the entire trip was documented start to finish, but... Um, but you'll, you'll mostly be, if you're, if you're interested in seeing that side of it, our trip, you're going to want to, to become, if you aren't already a squad member on YouTube, uh, YouTube channel member where you can also watch Monsteropolis each week as a video show. Now those are being edited as we speak. Literally in the next room. Yes. Um, yeah. Aaron Gaskin is working on the, uh the the production diaries and um right now what we just walked in on was aaron editing (laughs) the a-line road incident oh my which i mean i guess um i don't want to go there yet but we can talk a little bit about that because i kind of feel like that was a very big footy at least a very uh, paranormal experience it was like exists coming to life i felt like it was yeah we were close to being the first 10 minutes of exist Blair Witch, at least (laughs) um so yeah, uh, the the trip kicked off uh, last Wednesday. Oh, by the way, one thing I do need to mention: uh, uh, STM infomercial part of the show, Small Town Monsters infomercial part of the show, oh. on the trail of <laughs> oh, on the trail. Here we go <laughs> on the trail of Bigfoot. The journey um, pre-orders are open, so if you're interested in getting DVDs or Blu-rays. You can pre-order them at smalltownmonsters.com. Adrian has started shipping out Kickstarter backers rewards. So if you're interested in that, you can get that now too, or coming coming soon. 
Check your mail soon. Yes. There's hands ringing in excitement. Yes. I know this for sure. Yeah. Um, I actually wish I'd thought of it because I could have brought your copies because oh. they're at our house. <laughs> um, but oh. yeah, we're, we're, we, we did the premiere. Do we maybe save that for the next episode? Yeah. Well, premiere. I think let's, yeah, we can talk about that next episode, but I do think we should just shout out those who were there. Yes. Thank you for coming. Yes. It was very, it was cool to see how many people came because you just didn't know what was going to happen with the COVID COVID pandemic era. Yes. A movie going experience. Well, we were told by the theater, by the Canton Palace Theater, that it was the biggest event they've done since they shut down in March of last year. So mm. that that was uh, exciting. They actually said that a lot of people that came out had told them in advance that this was their first time going to a movie. Uh, uh, and oh, I think wow. there was a lot of people that were actually at the, the screening that were at their first movie since the pandemic. So for some people, it was Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it was on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. Yes. And both are appropriate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So is that it? I think that's, that's it. it. Yeah. We'll save the rest for. Yeah. We'll talk more time. about this on the next episode. Um so we left last week. We're filming on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery. We've already talked about this on the show, kind of leading up to it. We did the looking forward to discovery mm-hmm. show. Um, do you want to just start out by saying what the trip was, was like for you? And then we can get into the details, but like a, a, overview of how you felt about the entire experience. Yeah, sure. If I, I mean, this is um, going to be the substance really of, this portion of the book uh-huh. is more than any other section. The discovery section is going to be my day by day journal through yeah. the whole deal. Cause you kept a journal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I guess overall I would say, um, there were a number of times on this trip where I was overwhelmed almost uh-huh. just by the, the scope of what I was seeing. Uh, Rialto beach would be an example of just seeing a place on Instagram and in books. And then finally, when you get there and lay eyes on it, it's just so much, it's even so much better mm-hmm. than you imagined it to be that it was uh, a sense of, I don't know, just uh, a gratefulness mm-hmm. of being able to see that in person and to return to the Olympic project headquarters and Mm -hmm. hang out with those guys a little bit more and get to know new people who are part of the project. You know, I had very high expectations for this trip going in just because it was kind of unfinished business. Yeah. And my expectations were exceeded always Mm -hmm. every step of the way. And it's a place I have very genuine and special feelings about. And I, want to go back i'd go back with i didn't, day well, I didn't want like, to leave i don't think any of us really wanted to leave yeah which is not i don't think any trip i've been on where i was that disappointed to be leaving not mm-hmm. that i can remember mm-hmm. um i know on journey we were all kind of ready to at least get you know, like home to our families. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, on this trip. I had my wife with me. We didn't have Tommy and we didn't have our dogs. I kept joking that like, if we could send for the dogs (laughs) and Tommy, that (laughs) (laughs) that we would be okay to just stay in Washington for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, 
scope and scale of everything was a thousand times larger than I, it was like the journey in that way. Mm. I just wasn't expecting the, the, just the grand scale of that area and the way things change, uh, the rain from the coast to the rainforest to, uh, the mountains. And we got to see the other thing that I think is worth pointing out is we saw it in almost every type of weather. In fact, I would say at this point, we have seen it in every type mm-hmm. of weather. We saw it in, in a very, at a very warm time of year when we went the first time sunny as could be, right. it was warm. It was like in the seventies. Um, that was in 2018 when mm-hmm. we went and this time we saw it, we saw it a couple days in the sixties and sunny. We saw it pouring rain. Yes. We saw it gl- gloomy, overcast, foggy as could be. Yeah. We saw it snow capped. We saw everything with snow on it. Right. We kind of got the full scope of even the, the changing climate of mm-hmm. the area. Um, and so, yeah, it was my favorite STM shoot. I was, I, I was kind of like afterward, I couldn't figure out where I was coming down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it was all said and done, I was like, yeah, it was my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I can't think of another one that could compete with it in terms of what we were experiencing on a daily basis. You just yeah. can't, it'd be very hard to top it with what we've done so far now the goal is going to become okay how can i top discovery with what i'm doing next right so right and i guess i would say on top of everything else that you've talked about that we've just mentioned it was andy's 18th birthday yeah and the second time that he's been on a stm mm-hmm. shoot where it was his actual birthday and this one he was 18 so i have some very specific feelings about um you know sort of his childhood coming to an end and he's there and then now he's 18 years old and but that next day was like a total joy from beginning to end so lots of stuff going on sort of beneath the surface there which was well made it extremely you said special. that and now i'm curious when how when this was really close to when to when we went to bray road Right, but wasn't Bray Road really close to when we went to Boggy? Was was his birthday right around when we shot Boggy too? Um, let's see, when was Boggy? His birthday is the thirteenth, April thirteenth. Yeah. Um, you guys came down either like immediately after or right before his birthday. Mm-hmm. Somehow, yeah, because Boggy was shot in early April of twenty sixteen. 2015, right. So we, it would have been before we must've gotten back and then it either was way, that's kind of crazy that yeah. these three aligned. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like those three are very specific experiences too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I don't know how to approach this cause I do legitimately for the audience's sake, want to keep it to kind of like Bigfoot centric. Sure. Um, and at the same time, it's a lot, the, the trip itself is a lot bigger than that. Um, but I guess, so we could talk really quickly about the first few days, talk a little bit about the A-Line road experience and then sure. maybe get to getting, hooking up with the, the Olympic project. Cause I, I know a lot of people who listen to our show are going to be excited about hearing about our take on the nest site and all that oh, kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we got in on, on Wednesday and it was funny cause I had told you in the lead up to the show that first Wednesday we're taking it easy because <laughs> I, last time I did this, I hit the ground running and I got sick and we were all exhausted. You know, so, I ignored that when you say that. Yeah. Now. 
well, <laughs> from now on, you're going to have to. Because there never was. I don't think there ever was a point where we had really downtime. There were a couple times where we had an hour or two here or there. Yeah, the last full day we oh, were yeah, there, the last, the last was, half of the last full day was just... Kind of lollygagging around. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but the... The first day we get in and uh, we're at, we, we drove to Olympia, which is where I was staying. And um, the house was fine. It was like a cool, I know, I know mm-hmm. Aaron was really impressed with the house. I wasn't thrilled with where we were staying. Um, but we did have a cool view of Mount Rainier. It's just that we never could see it because it was behind clouds. Mm-hmm. I did get a really cool time lapse of the, the clouds sort of settling on top of Rainier. Yeah, it was only watching that footage that I realized that we were rainier. seeing Rainier. Yeah, but just not a direct shot of it. But yeah. the contour is was exactly was the there. mountain. Yeah. yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, so we get in and and we check into the house. So and and then for, I just want to clarify something. And and actually, this was clarified for me on this trip too. Um, so on the trail of was originally conceived as this sort of like like out in the going out in the woods getting down and dirty boots on the ground kind of like looking for bigfoot or ufos or whatever kind Mm -hmm. of approach um and there were times on the x episode was very much that um the of the first series you know it was i stayed in the woods i camped in the woods um that is not possible with a any sort of crew and it's not possible when you have to charge well over 130 batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was cemented for me on this trip. was like this kind of project is not the type of project where we can go camp out in the woods for multiple days at a time. Now, we might get to the point where like later this year when we shoot uh, night visitors, I have some plans I'm putting in place for that trip. Um, and that's not about Bigfoot, it's about UFOs, but mm-hmm. I have some plans I'm putting in place for that trip where we would be staying out in the woods for a few days at a time, a couple days at a time, like two, two off, two on is kind of like what I'm thinking. But as far as this trip goes, it just never would have worked with what we were attempting to mm-hmm. pull off. Um, basically five cameras going at any one time, uh, drone footage, all that kind of stuff. It just even with my, I have a Jackery power source. You could charge batteries in the woods, but it, it just, it was, it was. I was glad that I could see the differences between what Alex is doing with Beyond the Trail and what we're doing with On the Trail of in the same setting, yes. in the same essentially like sharing a production. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was interesting too. I don't know if you noticed that at all. Yeah. Oh, that is that's super interesting. And you would, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you'd have to have somebody. In a hotel room at the very least, or yeah. with access to a power source in order to keep somebody else out in the, mm-hmm. the woods the whole time. I and mean, and offloading footage. Because mm-hmm. that was the other thing. We would get back to the house every night and I would spend at least an hour or more offloading footage mm-hmm. from the first, at least for the first like four days. Once I realized we were okay on storage, we were, we were good. But yeah. for those first few days, I was really intent on constantly moving um, footage over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very interesting production, um, for, for, for multiple reasons. Um, not the least of which is the scenery and the people yeah. we were with and the locations and all that stuff, but, um, being a part of two, two productions running simultaneously, it was mm-hmm. very interesting to me. And Alex and I didn't spend a ton of time talking about what he was up to or like 
because we, we kind of had talked about all that leading up to the production. But um, and for those that don't know, Alexander Petikov was in Washington with us filming a, a, basically a tie-in or cross a crossover episode of uh, Beyond the Trail that will inter, inter interconnect with the discovery. Um, and so while we were well, we'll get to that. I'll yeah. talk about the nest site and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so the first night we we drove, um, I decided to look up logging roads because I had been told by Shane to go to Capitol State Forest and look up the logging roads, and I couldn't find anything relating to logging roads. And but what I did see was a uh, uh, a Google article, and I can't remember what it was even about. It wasn't about <laughs> Bigfoot or anything, but it said something about a pass. What was the name? something pass like Morgan's pass or hmm. something like that. Donovan's pass or okay. something. The name, I like the name, the word pass. Yeah. Cause it reminded <laughs> me of like something, you know, some really uh, ancient place where High we were the, going to go. Yeah. There's in a temple, a, a valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we looked it up and got the GPS and it said about an hour to get there from Olympia. So we drove there and we get in and it's already, well on its way to being dark. I mean, it's the sunset or setting when we get there and we decide, um, we see that there, there's a uh, sign when you get to the entrance that says you have to become a discovery pass member, which yes. I got my discovery passes in the mail. Did the other you really? Day. Yeah, oh. Apparently they're good through the year. So oh, nice. Uh, if we go back, I still have that on my phone yeah. too. Yeah. And that, uh, you get into any state park then. Yes. Is the deal with I that. I thought it was national. Is it state? National's different. Okay. But we have those two. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well, that Seven works. days. Yeah. So that expired. But. Yeah, that's over. Um, so anyway, we get we get in and we, um, we, we buy the pass. We go up the logging road and we decide to shoot, shoot some drone footage. We're getting drone footage of the cars driving through this area. Yeah. And, um, and then we decide we're just going to keep going. And so the logging road was what, like 13 miles or 11 miles, something like that. Yeah. It's okay. So I don't know, chime in here because my memory of this is kind of fuzzy, but basically I'm driving. We drove for probably 40 minutes before we even stopped to shoot the dialogue scene. Mm -hmm. We stopped at a really cool location. You'll see it in the movie. Mark and I stop and get out of the car and we talk about where we are and what we're doing in Washington. It's sort of our setup scene for the entire film. And then I think from there was where things started going downhill, (laughs) which was we decided we were going to leave or at least start working our way out of the area. Yeah. And we thought we had a pretty airtight plan. Yeah. And uh, Google Maps was showing just go down this one road and it it just dumps you out onto a, a connector road and you're back on the highway that you came in. The problem was as we were making our way following those directions, it came to this really weird dead end, like almost like a, like a bulldozer had been taken and created that dead end specifically to keep people from going out that way, which, um, you know, it was a pain. We got turned around and then headed the other direction. And then this succeeded to happen at least two more times. I think that we hit, a dead end that was not marked on, you know, at least the GPS stuff that we were able to get, which was admittedly like one or two bars. Well, 
So you were always wondering how accurate this is. Yeah, and as the night, so we hit the first one, and it's still pretty, it's at least somewhat light out. We hit the second one, it's almost dark. By the time we hit the third dead end, it was pitch, it was night. I mean, it was yeah. night, essentially nighttime. And we're kind of, you're in the woods on that third one. Mm-hmm. I think that was why I freaked out on the third one, <laughs> because we were... On unlike the other two, which were at least a little more out in the open, this felt like we were being pinned in by something. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And there's, there's the illusion that we had just come that way. Yes. And then the returning, it was almost as if something had, you know, something set up had a come blockade. along behind us and set up a blockade. <laughs> and um yeah, I freaked out. Um which you you'll You'll catch a little bit of in, yeah. the, in the audio recording or the, the video recording from the production diaries if you're a squad member. But um, so we're out in the woods and it's dark and we're just driving around hitting dead end after dead end. We eventually Aaron kept. So so that turn, that last turn was my fault. I, I was following the GPS. Aaron was saying go straight. Okay. I followed the GPS. Mm-hmm. That's why we drove down to another, yeah. another dead end. Um. Once I let Aaron just kind of tell us where to go, we actually, that was when we found our way back out. out. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a little unsettling. It, you know what? The other thing I said to Aaron, if it had been me and you and Aaron and Andy and Brandon, I wouldn't have cared. But I think mm-hmm. the issue is we had our wives, Aaron and I had our wives with us and you start like freaking out about their safety then. Yeah. And it just adds another layer of stress to it. <laughs> right. Which I don't know if you felt that with Andy with you, but like that was kind of like, nah. Not so much. <laughs> you would defend me, I yeah. feel like at this point. Yeah, that's but, true. But no, yeah I, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's this big team of people. It's our first night. Yeah, first night. And I mean, to add to it, my nature is I'm in this, this rental car that I, you know, I'm still getting used to how, where everything is, mm-hmm. like, how do you even turn the thing on and yeah. get it running? And, you know, we're doing these three point turns on logging roads. And in some cases there's not a lot of room for error. Right. And that was not a place that you'd want to get stuck in. No. So that all no, of these things all. sort of factored together well, we were even a little concerned about that car getting stuck in mud mm-hmm. because of um just stuck in mud of the road like if we hit a yeah. muddy patch of the road i was a little concerned because mm-hmm. i had a i had a jeep with four-wheel drive but even in even in the jeep with four-wheel drive it had stock tires on it, it wasn't like it had right you know like like off-road all-terrain yeah. tires or anything. Attachment. yeah <laughs> it had nothing um so and it must be said i will ha- i the lady at budget mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity to upgrade mm-hmm. which i did mm-hmm. for i think ten dollars a day extra yeah. and we would have been in a kia oh. if not and that I'm was really glad one of you my did best that. decisions of the whole trip was saying yeah let's do that and we ended up with the ford yeah, Edge, because which it, looks a lot better on film too by the way i yeah, thought it, it does. looked decent Better than a Kia Soul. I was going to say, I think both the cars look, I mean, the Jeep's cool because it's a Jeep, but the, the Ford looks, looks fine. Yeah. It's decent. It's not out of place. And, and actually the fact that it handled a line isn't saying that much because a line ended up being pretty tame compared to that one we drove up on the last day. Right. The one where we were hitting ruts that were like a foot deep. And then snow drift. Yeah. And then hit it. (laughs) Yeah. Had to stop at a snow drift. Um, but yeah, so that we eventually found our way back out. Um, 
But you honestly, the entire time we're driving out of there, I'm like, someone's going to jump out of the woods oh, at yeah. any minute. Because we probably should have mentioned we found a bunch of bone. There were bones. There were like skeletons everywhere. And not, <laughs> not like human skeletons. <laughs> we we think they actually might have been elk. An elk or, bone. Yeah. It was big. Yeah, it, it was, was quite large. Massive uh, bone that we were finding. But there were it little. It was comical because Aaron yeah. went around a corner. Walked off around a corner. Yeah. And he comes back no more than five seconds later with a giant bone in his hand. Yeah. It's like it was put there, you know? Yeah. It's what it seemed like. He's like, hey, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> like, where did he find that? But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, from the very, from that first night, we were putting ourselves in locations where if something's going to happen, here's where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that entire... Park, I have to, you know, I haven't researched this at all, but I have to believe it's some cooperative between a logging company and the state Mm -hmm. for, um, you know, uh, public use. Mm -hmm. But this is all land that, you know, alternates between harvested and older growth forest. And that's exactly the type of place where, you know, historically sightings have been reported in Washington state. The doors just straight up opened on its own. Aaron, was that you? Oh my! Shut that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did that the first time. No way that opened on its own. Oh my! Office STM offices are haunted. Um. So yeah, that was our introduction to Washington. Reintroduction to Washington. We did have a great lunch. In fact, like one of the better meals we probably had the entire trip was at uh, Tugboat Annie's. Tugboat Annie's. Mm-hmm. I was. Peg leg <laughs> tugboat tugboat Annie's, which was which was really great. Yeah, uh, got some cool footage there too. Um, but yeah, that was the that was the kickoff. We got home that night and kind of collapsed. Uh, I woke up at like four thirty a.m. Started shooting uh, time lapses. Wait, it wasn't four. I woke up at four thirty, but I came out at what like five ten because you were already. I up. was up. Yeah, I was still on Eastern. Yeah, so time. was I. Um, and I came out, and Mark was up, and. And that was the beginning of day two. Day two was beaches. So we saw some beaches on the drive up toward Forks. Um, nothing crazy. We got to see the Tree of Life, but that was honestly kind of disappointing because there were so many people there. You couldn't really do anything. Like I, I, I mean, think, it was cool getting to see it. I think that was the most um, touristed thing that we saw mm-hmm. on the whole trip. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. I didn't even think of that. As yeah, because there were so many people. It was just an endless cycle of people getting their photos by yes. the tree of life. But yeah, the the beach day was really cool because I drove. You, your dream came. Is that true. what you were going to say? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of it, and also the um, a lot of those um, beaches and bays yeah. factor into uh, well-known Bigfoot cases mm-hmm. or, or track finds, and like Grays Harbor. Grays Harbor is right there. Copalis Co- Beach yep. is apparently right. Those that's all Grays. Yeah, um, great, the, the great very first, the very first place where we went mm-hmm. is all within that region. Like mm-hmm. the the actual beach we were on was Copalis Beach. Did you do more research into the Grays Harbor stuff? A little bit, yes. Can and you the, talk about it? Because well, I I, some of the it. it it has to do with both sightings and track finds. Okay, and that's it. There are some. I think the story with Grays Harbor is that um, somebody sent 
a cast to Cliff Berrickman mm-hmm. of a Grays Harbor um, track find that was either in their father's garage or they found it at a garage sale or there's some some story like that mm. where um, it actually turned out to be a, a Grays Harbor track um, based on the database that Cliff has. But, right. but yeah, there's a lot there as far as... Um, Washington cases are concerned and that, those will all appear as sidebars in the book. It's probably worth mentioning uh, how many Bigfoot, how much, how much Bigfoot permeates the culture there. Yeah. Cause like we, we've seen that elsewhere and we've seen it there before you and I have seen it there. We drove while we were driving from Port Angeles up to the cabin the first time mm-hmm. in 2018, we saw the Bigfoot cutout outside that store. Yeah. But um, this time it's even more, I mean, especially when you get up by the sound um, in Port Angeles, you'll notice it. But but even out toward um, Forks, we saw Bigfoot stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah it's all over. Yeah. Uh, so that was day two. And then th- th- nothing crazy. We didn't go out that night, did we? We got to our place. And I think we were in for the night. Or is that true? Or maybe not. I forget. Is that Rialto Beach? That's Rialto Beach. So that's yeah. Right? That's the night we go to Rialto. Yeah, because the next day we go to the rain. We went to the rainforest and mm-hmm. all that. So we went to Rialto Beach that night, and um, I'm going to save that for our squad members just because I think it's such an amazing location. In the film, it's going to be on film for like twenty, thirty seconds, uh, but probably my favorite location we've we visited on this particular shoot, but probably my favorite vi- location we've shot at. Period. Um, just. S- Looked like you were at Skull Island. Like yeah. it looked otherworldly. Um, and we got there right at sunset and walked out. Uh, took a lot of work to get out to the actual, whatever they call those, the big rock islands or whatever. Sea yeah. stacks. Sea stacks. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of work to get out there. We had to climb over these mountains of driftwood, um, like a literal, almost a literal yeah, mountain. When you hear driftwood, it these are... Trees, trees that have fallen into the ocean, yeah, and then the the surf and the tides have basically picked Throwed. them up and then set them back down again in a in a mountain, yeah, a mountain of trees, and you climb across it. I'm sure there's other ways to get out there. I, I would, yeah, I would I, think La Push if you're at because I was looking on a map and it looks like La Push would be the easiest way to get mm-hmm. to those sea stacks. Yeah, but La Push has its own sea sea stacks. It right? does. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was. Anywhere that was a um, tribal or reservation yeah. access was closed because yes. of COVID. COVID. Yeah, so we didn't get to see La Push, but um, I honestly, I can't imagine how, I don't know how you'd top Rialto. And some of it might have been because we were there at the perfect time, like mm-hmm. golden hour. But it also seemed like the sun was setting forever. The sun was setting when we got there, and we were there for, at least a few hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of setting the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it was really incredible. Um, so I've talked before about some of my favorite moments on these shoots are when I get off by can, can go off alone and just film and be by myself. And I got to do that there. Um, I went down the beach kind of by myself and everyone else was off. Well, you were by yourself all the way back toward the, the, right. Yeah, I went walking north as far as I could yeah. before there was a 
a little river that ran from the woods and kind of cut the beach in two. So I turned around at that point, but yeah, yeah the, the climbing over the trees was too much for me. I, yeah. I bailed at that point. Yeah, it was, that was intense, but I mean, it was, it was a great, it was a really cool night. There's nothing big footy that I'm aware of at that particular location, but we went, um, after that, we went back to the house and crashed and that was our, the end of our, our second day. Which is crazy to think. Third yeah. day, we went to the whole rainforest. Um, I can talk about something bigfooty at the whole rainforest, and that is that when we got to the rainforest, we were driving in to the to to the area and the ranger station where you pay. Um, the the you know it's like it looks like a toll booth. I mean, the mm-hmm. guy there's a guy inside this tiny little shack on the road and he opens the window and I look in and I'm paying, I'm in the process of paying for our cars to get through. And I look in and there's a, a like a little dry erase board hanging on the wall behind him. And it says, um, it has been, I think it was like 102 days since the last big, Bigfoot report. <laughs> and I said, I asked him, I was like, so, so what's up with the sign? And he's like, He's like, well, he's like, I, I try to keep track of all the Bigfoot reports that come in, but don't don't pay any attention to that. It, it's been a lot more recent than 102 days. I kind of lost track. Wow. And so it's the, it, I, it got me thinking about Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. And I mean, I guess even a, a around the country in general, but why are we so closed off to the possibility that, that there is an unknown animal existing in our midst when so many people report seeing it like it, it's it blows my mind that this guy has a a chart in his workstation that he keeps track of the sightings coming in and as he was telling me this he was laughing mm-hmm. so and it's fine like i don't i'm not offended that he's laughing yeah. but it's like how do you not how do you not take it seriously at all? Like, how are you at the point where it's so you, you consider it so silly, you know, and, but you're getting almost daily reports or whatever. I mean, even weekly or monthly reports, whatever it is, how do you not at some point stop and think, okay, maybe people are seeing something Mm -hmm. like there's no way this many people are just misidentifying bear or known animals, you know, like there's gotta be something to this. Mm But it's just so weird to me that it, that his response to that is to kind of like laugh it off and turn it into a joke. Like, does yeah. it seem weird? Yeah, well, a little bit. And I think in his position as sort of a ambassador for the national parks, he probably feels like he should play it off rather yeah. than. That's true. Yeah, you know, rather than make it a, a serious thing. But clearly he's being confronted with these reports. Yeah. And I don't know off the record what rangers and workers would say i know what one of the things that we heard that's really stuck with me was like the logging industry and these big like tough alpha male uh you know loggers and truck drivers who have seen these things um have a tough time opening up and talking about it but a lot of them have seen things and it it bothers them because they know there's not much they couldn't handle on their own, but if you see one of those creatures, you know it could handle you with no problem, and there's some emotional stuff to work through, I guess, on that. Well, we conducted an interview with a former logger 
while we were there, our only mm-hmm. straight up eyewitness interview, Mike. Um, and Mike was telling us that when he worked for the logging crew, he talked to all sorts of people, all sorts of other loggers who'd had experiences of some sort. And, and it, I mean, the, I, I don't know. He seems like an honest guy, but the way he made it sound is like almost everyone he knew has some sort of experience out there. Mm-hmm. And like being there, I can totally see it now. Like yeah. even that spot where we were, when we interviewed Mike on actually that day, the day before we went to the rainforest, it was right before we went to the mm-hmm. rainforest. We interviewed Mike um, because we interviewed him on the banks of the Sawduck river. Yeah. Um, and that river, it, that was the Sawduck, right? I th- I'm pretty sure that's what he told me. Cause I thought it was interesting that it was all the way over there. At that, least that, ghost? that wasn't the ghost this time. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, the, uh, we, we interviewed him on the banks of the Sulduck River, and when I launched the drone, I was surprised to find that where we were was actually sort of populated compared to some of the other places. It wasn't as rural as I thought it was because I got up there, and there was a house here, and then there was another house over here. But even there, you're like, oh, yeah, like you can see where forest goes off to the horizon, too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there were houses, but they were intermingled with forest that was just overrunning everything. And there's this river there that's clear as can be, one of the clearest rivers I've ever seen. I mean, it looked like looking at the water, you felt like you could just drink it. If mm-hmm. you, you know, like you'd just dip a cup in there oh, and yeah. drink some water. Get some glacier water. Yeah, get some glacier water. But um, I thought that 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 Bigfoot, we've talked about Bigfoot permeating the culture. I've used that line before in the Adirondacks. We've talked about it, but it's different out there Mm -hmm. it's different on the olympic peninsula yeah you get the impression it's less based around like a a sort of fun kitschy sideshow and more about reality Mm -hmm. somehow yeah just a natural extension of what's what's there Mm -hmm. and just to piggyback on something you said i think what's so striking about the olympic peninsula is i I really think that no matter where you are, even if you're at Port Angeles, for example, mm-hmm. you can, all you have to do is drive 20 minutes and you will find yourself in a place that is, you could find yourself in a place that is remote yeah. by any standards. Like just drive up one of those logging roads that we were on when we were there. Or the road that we stayed on by Lake Crescent. I don't know if you ever went oh, right, oh, right out of the drive. Mm-hmm. We did, Andy, Brandon, and I drove all the way down the to the end mm-hmm. of that road one day. Mm-hmm. And there's houses on one side for a while, and then it just becomes nothing. Right, there's a trail out there mm-hmm. and the lake. Yeah. So um, along with the just the scope of the trees and you know the the sharpness of the hills and the peaks, you you have this sense that. Um, wow, you know, there's nobody around mm-hmm. for miles. Mm-hmm. And this is a place where you know, millions of people come, presumably over the course of a, a year for recreational purposes, but it's vast. And I know we that's something that we said a lot about the Adirondacks, but in the sense of, in the case of the Olympics, what people will come to see if they don't already understand this is that there's no way through the Olympics. Yeah. The mountain range itself. Yeah. And that 
has implications to travel in that area because you're not going through the Olympics to get anywhere. You have to go around. Mm. So <laughs> it's just what direction are you going to go around the mountain range? But it's just so rugged. Um, you know, there's there's great stories about people and there's clubs that have formed to hike through the Olympics, but there's no road that you can drive on that, you know, takes you up to Mount Olympus or something like that. It's It's too... All of it's just too extreme. Yeah, it's, someone asked. I think I already talked about this, but like someone asked me, which was more wild, the Adirondacks or the Olympics, like the the Olympic Peninsula. I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Um, and I don't know why this is because the Adirondacks are six million acres, which having been in in the Olympic Peninsula. And thinking how small that region is compared mm-hmm. to that, it's mind blowing how massive the Adirondack area is now mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. But even having said that, the Olympic Peninsula felt far more wild and unpredictable. Just mm-hmm. the entire time, you just the weather can change. The, the there's something about the 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 area itself that feels less maybe it's because i'm from the east coast too you know so maybe mm-hmm. the, it's a little bit of the fact that the adirondacks feel a little bit more like home whatever it is i just it feels un unpredictable in a way that i don't think the adirondacks do mm-hmm. you know yeah, i agree with that 100 percent. and yeah. i think part of it i mean part of it is the fact that you know you if you go to the Adirondacks, you can climb any one of those peaks. Mm-hmm. Even Mount Marcy, you can climb that and park in a trailhead and climb Mount Marcy. You can't do that with Olympus. I mean, if you're going to climb Olympus, it's going to be like you're outfitting for a major a climb. peak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you have to go with people who know what they're doing and so forth. It's just a completely different feel. And something you touched on before was this idea that is absolutely true, and that is this concept of the microclimate. There are microclimates on the Olympic Peninsula mm-hmm. where on one side, on the western side of the mountain range, it's truly a rainforest. You know, that's not a figure of speech. Right. It's, it's truly a rainforest because of the, num- the amount of rainfall that they get annually. On the other side of the range, it's one of the most arid places in the United States. And that's just on one, one you know, peninsula area of... Mm-hmm one part of one state, but it's just, it depends where you are, what elevation you're at and what time of day you can have a tremendously different experience. And I think that's part of the unpredictability and between the Olympic national park and the forest, you're talking about a grand total of just under 1 million square miles or 1 million acres. Yeah. Excuse me. And when you compare that with the Adirondacks, six, yeah, six, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it's so much more area. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel it doesn't, the same. It yeah, just doesn't. No, it's totally different. I don't know what it is. The um, that rainforest we went out the first time, and I thought kind of you we saw you can see the moss growing on trees and some of those things around the OP cabin, which is yeah. where we were. And I thought we had kind of, okay, well, we've experienced then yeah. a, a little bit of that rainforest thing. And then we drove into the whole rainforest and it's like you're driving into Fern Gully. Right. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. insane Yeah. how, and I, I spend a lot of time looking at pictures and videos and stuff of all these places before we, any 
any location SDM makes a movie about. I spend a lot of time trying to, trying to, um, I don't know, like, like really insert myself into that place before I'm there. Mm -hmm. Like just so I know what I'm ready for and kind of to get myself thinking creatively. And so I've watched all the videos on, on hurricane Ridge and the whole rainforest and all this stuff. And then we get there and every single thing that happened, it wasn't like there was a point where I was like, Oh yeah, I knew this. <laughs> like every single place I was constantly just, my mouth was hanging open. Yeah. In fact, like the most jarring thing about coming back to Ohio. And I forgot about this from our first trip out there is looking off to the horizon and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of like just trees and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kind of, yeah. You miss it. Like when you come back, it's, it's one of those things you miss as the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're at 43 minutes. I think we're going to have to extend this into the next episode because I really want to spend some time talking about the OP and the nest site and all mm-hmm. that. So this is part one. We're going to talk more about, we'll get really heavily into the Bigfoot stuff. We might have to save some of these letters for another episode because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really like to talk about the nest site and how they found it and some of these yeah. things. Um, so uh, I think that's it for this week. That gets us up through day three. Day four is where we actually went and met up with the Olympic project and started really getting big footy with it. Yeah. So um, come back next week and we'll, we'll start talking about the nest site and all that kind of, and if you don't know what the nest site is, you'll, you'll want to check that out anyway, just cause it's a, it's a really interesting piece of, of Bigfoot history. So um, if you're a fan of the show, you can leave us a glowing review to offset the number of angry people who were <laughs> upset over the audio quality of the last two episodes, despite the disc- disclaimers that I recorded before those episodes about the audio quality. And don't forget the infoma- infomercial infomercial nature yes. of the program, please, which happens to be the official podcast of Small, Small Town, Town Monsters, Monsters, which is a production company. What? Mark nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> um, you can also send us mail to monsteropolismail at gmail.com. Hate mail, love mail. I don't know. If you send us hate mail, I'm reading it on the show and then blasting you. So feel free. <laughs> um, and you can uh, leave us a rating review. Oh, you can like us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, yes, Facebook. Those yes. are probably the best ways to keep up with what we're doing. And you can watch the show again on YouTube if you're into that sort of thing. And you can watch the production diaries. They start posting real soon. So, oh, uh, there's another episode of, I don't know if we even talked about it, but the Canton Palace Theater episode of On the Trail of Hauntings is out. um, And it's on YouTube. And then we record another episode next Tuesday. So there's more On the Trail of Hauntings coming soon as well. I think that's it. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.